a little embarrassing, but you know that moment when you, when you receive a call, you have a voicemail, but you forget to call someone back, or you, you don't call them back? Well, I have one of those moments right now. Fred Conklin is with us this morning, and I owe Fred a phone call, actually, because he called and left a message. Fred and his wife are here, as well as Reverend uh, Christopher Layton and his wife are here visiting. Both of them are helping to organize City Fest, which is going to be going on uh, August 27th and 28th down at Seaside Park. Uh, and so uh, feel free after the service to go and, and talk to them, grab them before they leave if you have questions about City Fest. But it's this great opportunity to share the love of Christ with others. It's going to be a fun time. Hopefully you can make it. But uh, I do want to just point out and remind you, we've got these invitations at the booth just outside the door on your way out. You can grab one. You actually don't need it to get in, but they're meant to be an invitation you give away to someone so that they can know all the details about what's going on. It's a fun, it'll be a fun thing. So check that out. Fred, forgive me for not calling you back. <laughs> I know, you're very gracious. You always are very gracious, but... Hey, uh, I love that we sang that song because it's a great reminder of what we truly need to be living our lives with the kind of posture of needing the Lord at every hour, every moment, right? And it's so easy not to live that way. It's so easy to, to say, yes, God, I believe in you, Jesus, but then to, to practically speak and go out and live our day in our own strength, right? To expect that we're not going to make mistakes, just to kind of say, hey, I'm going to do this. I've got this. I can, I can make this. And so I'm so thankful for the worship team and, and certainly for the adult discipleship class that spends time exploring these, these uh, hymns together and, and kind of thinking about the history and why they were written. And so then we can sing them together with more gusto and, 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 and faith in, in the words that we're singing to the Lord. Last week, if you were with us, we tackled this topic about our identity. Right? We question this, this idea of, of who are we and who are we becoming. And what we were left with is this, this uh, question that we needed to answer. The question of, uh, that, that, that we need to know deep down inside of who am I and who am I becoming. Right? And, and if you were with us, you, you probably hopefully felt the challenge to kind of examine, is this a question that you yourself can answer? Or is this a question that you need to look to God to help you answer? Or do you, do you believe that in the, the, the core of your being, that your identity, that your purpose, that your meaning comes down to uh, getting clarity around your own wants and desires and, and what your future looks like? Or, or is it about believing kind of the, the words actually that have been captured in the Heidelberg Catechism, that, that, that you belong both uh, body and soul in life and death to your Savior, Jesus? Is he the one who, who owns you, who, who, who's redeemed you, who's bought you back from a life of darkness, from, from a world of pain and, and anguish, from uh, the world of sin, and redeemed you into the family of God? And so because of that, he is the one who's orchestrating. He's the artist who's painting the, the, the picture of your life. He's the, the author who's writing the story of your life and the future that he has for you. What we also discussed last week was that our spiritual formation, which is what we're describing here, this, this identity, like claiming this identity and, and living into this identity that God has for us, it is not such a comfortable process, right? Growing pains don't always feel good. When I was younger and going through my own growing pains, I, I remember waking up at, at night with cramps in my legs because my body was trying to grow into this beautiful specimen that's standing before you today. Yeah, amen. That's right. I don't know who said it, but gold star for you. And here's the thing. As glad as I am that I grew, it didn't feel good. Right? And this, this idea that, that, that our growth should feel good and affirming and, and should be a, 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 a great process just isn't true, right? The promise of God that we hold on to firmly as we grow in our identity in him, as we struggle with the, the circumstances of life that don't feel so good is that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Right? That, that, that somehow, I don't know how, I can't see it right now, but somehow I am entrusting my life into God's hands, and that means that the outcome of my life and my circumstances can be trusted as being good, even if I don't see that good this side of heaven. 
in a moment of, of self-reflecting this morning, I, I want you to ask yourself if you believe that this is possible for you. Can, can you wait on God? Can you trust him with the outcome of the circumstances of your life? Can you wait on him to do not just what you hope and believe will be a good thing, but what God has promised to do? This is not a health and wealth gospel, by the way. This is not saying if you believe in God, he'll make everything work out nice and neat and dandy for your life. This is a, a question of your faith. Do you truly put your faith in God to be the author of your life? To, to orchestrate the circumstances that even in the moment, even in the near future, if it doesn't feel good, you can still cling to him and cling to the promises that all things work together for the good. He's the, the definer of what that good is, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Before you say yes to this, think about what I'm asking. Can, can you wait on God when your pain and your grief just feels overwhelming, right? Can, can, you, can you wait on God's promise when you feel like you're drowning in depression and anxiety? Can you, can you wait on God's promise when, when your loved one whom, whom you've prayed for for so long just doesn't seem any nearer to God or, or in fact, maybe even seems further from God? Can you wait on him because you trust and believe God loves them as well and he wants their best? And that God is the definer of what that best is. So the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, can we, can we persevere? Can we endure the discomfort and the pain of our circumstances? Can we, can we push through the trials of our current circumstances while we, while we wait on God to do what he has promised to do? See, what you believe about the trials you face in this life matters. If your view of, of the difficult trials and, and challenging circumstances of your life is that they're, they're just a nuisance, that, that they're really just a, a discomfort that we're supposed to numb or make go away or, or even ignore, then you're missing a key promise that God has for you this morning. See, in God's hands, our pain and our discomfort, the challenging circumstances we live our lives through, is never wasted. So I think I tell my boys this as they've been growing up and uh, I've been trying to encourage them to kind of get more in shape for football and things like that. I say there's such a thing as good pain. There's a difference between good pain and, and bad pain. Take, for example, much, much younger Pastor Dan. When, when I was in middle school, my, my mom was concerned about my weight, and so she would wake me up around 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. I think maybe I've shared this story before, but she'd wake me up around 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. I actually don't know. I just know it was dark out, right? And, and she'd put this reflective vest on me and make me walk two miles with her out in the cold New England, upstate New York winters because she wanted me to kind of get in shape more, right? I, I can still picture there's these face masks where they, they'd kind of wrap around your face, they'd cover your nose and your mouth, there's a little hole so you could breathe, and then they'd Velcro behind you so you didn't get frostbite, right? And, and, and they, even the, 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 the Walkman that we'd listen to, right? And I say we because she actually purchased one of those, uh, those, those dividers so we could both plug into it and listen to it together as we're walking two miles. The story is much more embarrassing to tell out loud than it was to write down. <laughs> That was a good pain, right? It wasn't bad, it was a good pain because she taught me the value of taking care of my body, the, the, the health that I needed, right? She, she taught me at a young age to be concerned about the things that I'm eating to give my body fuel and strength and, and not to be overly uh, indulgent on the, the foods that I wanted to eat. There's, there's a good pain, right? And there's also a bad pain. There's a bad pain that comes as a direct result of, of harmful decisions, drinking too much or, or even eating too much, lying to others and, 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 and reaping the results, breaking the law and being held responsible for, for breaking the law, texting on your phone while driving and then rear-ending the car in front of you, right? There, are, there is such a thing as bad pain, pain that's the result of, uh, of circumstances that should not be or, or, or you, were, you would hope that they were not, right? Not all pain is good, but, but even the pain that is bad, right? And this is, this is the part of the promise that I want us to at least remember from last week. Even the pain that's bad is not outside of God's ability to redeem and use for good. 
right? A person from history that comes to mind for me is Joseph, right? Talk about a hard life. Talk about bad pain, right? This, this young boy was, uh, was envied by his brothers, so they sold him to some gypsies who, who took him to Egypt and sold him as, as a slave. He was... He was he lived as a slave in Egypt in a foreign land. His dad was told that he was destroyed by wild beasts, so his dad never came looking for him. Not only was he a slave, but at some point he was falsely accused of misconduct, and so he was thrown in prison, living in prison for not just a few months, but for years. And then, and then all that said, God shows favor and, and brings him up to the ranks gives him favor with, with Pharaoh and, and with Pharaoh's guard. And, and so at some point in the future, in a way that only God can orchestrate, Joseph is face to face with his brothers. And he gets the opportunity to say, hey, listen, guys, you may have meant it for my evil to sell me as a slave. Right? You, you meant to hurt me. This is a bad pain. But, but even so, I can look upon my life and I can see that God meant it for my good. That God used it for my good. That, that God took what you meant for evil and used it for my good. So yeah, there's a good pain and a bad pain. And, and I think it's important for us to remember that even in that bad pain, even in those most difficult circumstances that are brought about for, for horrible reasons, God can work for our good if we'll let him. See, the, the world we live in even our religious world of today wants to focus on our own circumstances, right? It wants to, to focus in on what feels good for me. How do, I, how do I get what satisfies me now, sooner, faster, more quickly, right? And, and not only that, but they see it as, as their goal to be, our goal to be happy, to be self-fulfilled, you know, self-realization, self-actualization, to, to feel good about ourselves, like, that's, that's a real view, not everyone's view, but that's a, a genuine worldview belief that, that God's intended goal for me is to be happy and, and to be satisfied with, with who I am and my circumstances, right? It's one of the major tenets of, of a, a religious worldview called moralistic th therapeutic deism, which was identified by a, a social scientist named Christian Smith back in 2005. He, he does this study, right, where he, he does this uh, faith study of, of over 3,000 high schoolers, who, by the way, today would be late 20s, early 30s. But anyway, these are the, the subjects of this study. And it, it's a, a scientifically uh, trusted study, right? And what he identifies as, as one of the major tenets is that their view of religion is that God wants us all to be happy. That not, not only God wants us to be happy, but to be comfortable with ourselves. And, and, and what's interesting is there, there may be a seed of truth in there. It's not altogether wrong, but it's not what our Bible teaches. See, what the study showed is that many people, even in the church, view trials and tribulations as being the opposite of what God has for us. So when trials come up in our lives, we're left to think, oh, something's going wrong here. God's walked away, or, or, or maybe I've done something wrong to make God angry with me, and so he's turned his back on me. Given this kind of current landscape within religion to believe that, that, that trials and tribulation is wrong, that, that if it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad, we're left to wonder, where's, where are we misquoting scripture here, right? So I think this, this is the misquote of scripture, that, 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 that our trials, that our tribulation, that our challenges, that the, the painful circumstances we find ourselves having to walk through from time to time uh, that, that they're bad, that somehow God is not in them. But that's not what our scripture, what God's scripture, what God's word teaches us. So I think, I think trials and tribulation are actually a key ingredient in God's work of transforming our broken lives. This is where God meets us, where, he, where he's revealed as being a trustworthy, loving, heavenly father who will provide for us, who will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, who promises to, to, to lead us not around the painful circumstances, but through them, 
And this is, this is the promise I want us to, to hone in on, to, to pay attention to as we look at the book of James together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen. You could pull it up in your, your app on, uh, on your phone. If you're watching online, you'll be able to view it on your, on your screen as well. And I'm going to read for us just three verses from the, the beginning uh, of, of James chapter 1. Let me read it for us. We read this in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Heavenly Father, this is your word. This, this is what we desire to know and understand and and. and this is the, the seeds that we want to take root in fertile soil within our soul. Transform us by your word. Renew us in your promises. Lord, may this morning, in these next few moments, may we hear from you, not from me, but may we hear and embrace your word, your truth, your promises for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, question for you. As we think of trials and tribulations, what's your first reaction when your car breaks down? Right? I mean, just try to think about a moment in your life when, when you're driving along and your car breaks down. What, what, about, what about if you've ever been let go from a job? Right? You, you walk into your boss's office and you just see that look on, on, on their face and you're like, mm, this is not going to go well. Right? What was your initial reaction? How about when your doctor calls you with some test results that you've been waiting for? But yet, when your doctor calls you and doesn't give you the test results, but says, hey, can you come into my office tomorrow? We, we need to meet, right? What's your reaction? What if, what if you're dating someone and they say, can we talk? What's, what's your expectation at that point, right? What are you thinking? Where's your, where's your mind going? Is, is your first reaction joy? I venture to say, for many of us, it's not, right? I remember when I was in college, and I had uh, I'd borrowed my parents' car, and I was driving back to school, and I'm getting off the exit for school, and I just, I hear this sound, like the engine's kind of sputtering a little bit. The car's not responding when I push on the acceleration. It's just kind of coasting at that point. And as it, it kind of like stutters to a stop, I don't think joy was my first reaction. I, I can't remember specifically, but I can tell you, I'm confident, I don't think it was joy, right? See, at this, that point in my faith journey, there was a disconnect between what I knew to be what God's word was and what I believed in my heart, right? For many of us as Christians uh, who have been around the church for a while, we, we can know the promises of God, but we struggle to believe them in our heart in such a way that changes how we walk our faith out, right? In fact, it's easy for many of us to pretend, to put on a happy face, so when something like this happens, you know, we, we, can, we can kind of like, we can speak out those Christian bumper stickers or whatever to, to say, you know, this is what my faith is, even though we don't really feel inside. It's almost like we're, gonna, we're, we're trying to fake it till we make it. We, we think if we speak it out, it'll be true in our hearts and we'll, we'll feel more confident. But the reality is, God's not looking at what we're saying on the outside. He's, he's examining what we believe in the depth of our heart, right? See, so I... I can tell you that when that car broke down, I wasn't thinking, man, I'm excited, God. I don't know, what, I don't know what's around that corner, but man, I can't, I can't wait to see what you're about to do. But I think that James is challenging us here, right? Correctly understood in the life of a follower of Jesus, when trials crop up in our life, when they happen, when the car breaks down, when you get that phone call from a doctor, when that significant other in your life says, hey, can we talk? There is something going on here that James would say we have reason to rejoice in, to have joy, right? Is that, is that the perspective that, that you have when trials and challenges show up in your life? When, when, when these sorts of things happen? See, ultimately, our problem isn't our, the, our circumstances, right? Our problem isn't the trial themselves. How many of us would, would pray, God, if you just get me through this, I'll... XYZ. I'll go, I'll go to church every Sunday this month, right? 
or, or, or I'll call that person back that I owe a phone call to, right? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to self-flagellate myself today, Fred. I'm sorry. This is, anyway. Uh, right? We, we, we make a promise to God. God, if you do this, if you get me through this, then, then, then everything, I know everything, will, my, I'll get my life back on track. The problem is not our circumstances, though, right? The problem is not trying to get through the valley of the shadow of death. The problem is our perspective. It, it's our perspective on the trial itself. It's our perspective on who God is in that moment and what he's doing and what he wants to do in my life. Our problem is not our circumstances or our trials. Our problem is our perspective. Dallas Willard uh, opens with a story from one of his books about this jet pilot who, she's, she's testing this, this plane out and she's, she's doing all these different maneuvers and, and she goes to ascend up into the sky and crashes into the ground. See, the problem was she didn't realize that in all the different maneuvers she was making, she had now at that point been flying upside down. And so when she pulled back on the stick to ascend, she descended into the ground. The problem wasn't a, a faulty plane. The problem was her perspective, right? See, what James tells us when it comes to trials of many kinds is that we need to fix our perspective. It, it, it's a matter of what we believe about our circumstances. It's a matter of, of, of what we believe about God and where our hope lies, some of your Bibles may read, count it all joy. Others may read, consider it all joy. Well, whether it says count it all joy or consider it all joy, James is saying, hey, we need to put these trials in a category in our life that's, that's described as joyful, as reason for joy. He's saying, you got to change your perspective on how we face these difficult or challenging or, or significant moments in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but thinking about a trial as reason for joy doesn't come easy or, or, or natural to me. I mean, how can it be that I could experience joy in the midst of, of extended job loss? Right? That, I remember shortly after we got married, I, I was without a job. We moved to a different state, and, and I was trying to find a job, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm newly married, I want to provide for my wife, and here I am killing it at home looking for a job, not finding anything, right? And, and it was demoralizing. Like, it was more than just, man, I can't find a job. It was demoralizing. So how, how can it be that I could sit there in, in, the, in, the, in this moment of feeling demoralized and, and be joyful, right? How, how can it be that I, I could experience joy when my body is failing, when I wake up every day and I'm reminded that I'm not as young and chipper as I once was? How can it be that I can experience joy when I wake up under a cloud of loneliness? You know, for some people who aren't lonely, it's hard for you to, to realize, to empathize with those people who wake up every day and feel like there's something missing. There's someone missing. Even if there are people that live in their house, it's possible to wake up under this cloud of loneliness. How, how can you expect it to be joyful in walking through those circumstances? Well, if you're asking these sorts of questions in your own life this morning, I want to just say this. Don't be discouraged. There's nothing wrong. In fact, I would say it's a natural reaction to ask these sorts of questions. How can joy and trials in my life go into the same bucket? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, placing trials in the joy category of my life has, has not come naturally. It has not come easily has not come overnight as soon as I said I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. See, the reason why is joy is not some sort of emotion. It's not, we're not talking about happiness here. We're, we're not talking necessarily about good feelings. Joy is a character trait that's formed in us over time and, over, and through experiences. Joy is not something you just, you just naturally are good at. It's a character trait that's shaped and molded inside of you in the depth of your being, at the core of your soul over time and experience. And it's not just letting time and experience pass you by and thinking, well, when I'm older, I'll, I'll feel that just because I'm older. No. It, it, it's a character trait that's forged in your soul as you trust God to work in your circumstances, good and bad, 
trusting him, and over time seeing those, being able to look back, see those results, to see the ways that God showed up in your life, the way he led you through moments, not the way he just immediately made all your pain and difficulty go away, but the ways that he was faithful to you, to never leave you nor forsake you, to provide for you along the way, to, 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 to still lead you forward even when your future is not unfolding the way you would expect it to. God is faithful to you. And so as you experience it over time, and experience God as the trustworthy and faithful God who loves you and desires to, to grow you. Well, that joy, the character of joy grows in you as well. Look at verses 3 through 4 of James chapter 1. James says this. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing. This idea of steadfastness is a picture of faithfulness. It, it, it's, it's not the, the going in and coming out of the waves of change and time. It, it's this steadfast, consistent faithfulness of God. And, and, and he's desiring to, to cultivate that in you as you walk through these trials. See, people of our day and age have a different perspective on trials and tribulations. In our day and age, where, where, where instant gratification is a major driving factor, right? Where, where it's not worth my effort if I can't get it now and get it the way I want it. I mean, Burger King. Is a Burger King have it your way, right? I mean, that's, again, not the entirety of the world we live in, but that's characteristic of the world we live in, that, that, that what's What's celebrated and good is those things that are those things that make life easier and more instant in, in, in gratifying us, right? In our day and age where, where these things are true, no one likes to wait. No one wants to wait for steadfastness to be formed in me, to, to walk through circumstances and, and, and have to see moment by moment how God is faithful and at work in my life. See, in our day and age where many people see the goal of their life being their own happiness and the realization of their dreams, even within the church, we don't want to choose the hard path. The hard path contradicts that idea of my own happiness. Very few people value the hard and the challenging path, the path that, that invites trial and tribulation and testing and challenging circumstances. See, the perspective that needs to change is the one that says we shouldn't have to wait for good to come out of our circumstances. Earlier, I mentioned the story of the pilot who flew her jet into the ground because she didn't realize that she was flying upside down. Well, since then, I have good news for you. They've developed technology. It's called gyroscopic tools or instruments that, that actually allow pilots to, to know at all times where the horizon is and where they are in orientation to that horizon. It's this tool that basically remains steadfast, aligned to the horizon, even while the plane changes position. So that if they are flying upside down, they can look at this instrument and know, okay, in relation to the horizon, I'm upside down right now, so I'm not going to ascend, I'm going to descend if I want to go up, right? When it comes to our faith, we need this sort of instrument. And we do. We have this sort of gyroscopic instrument to use. It's the promises of God. It, it's the word of God. And I'm not saying this just so you can like, so I challenge you to go out and memorize the promise of God. I'm saying this because God realizes that we need help keeping our eyes on the horizon and having a right perspective on our circumstances. And we're not going we're, we're to just assume that we're going to pull ourselves up out of our circumstances and everything's going to be better. But if we remain steadfast, trusting those instruments that God has put in our lives, the promises of, of, uh, that he's laid out before us, that, then, then we know that, that when it comes to the horizon, we have a right perspective. When it comes to the, the, the circumstances of our lives, we have a right perspective. I may not like what I'm going through, but if I remain steadfast and clinging to the promises of God, then I know 
Because I know who God is and what kind of God he is, I know where he's going to take me. I don't know specifically how it's going to make all this pain go away, but I know that God wants my good. My, my, he wants me to spend eternity with him, free from sin and pain and anguish and loneliness and, and, and the darkness of this world. God wants me to spend eternity with him. So even if my circumstances do not change this side of heaven, I know with my eyes set on that horizon line through that gyroscopic instrument of God's promises that he will lead me there because he desires my good. So when it comes to our faith, we have this instrument, this gyroscopic instrument that keeps us steadfast and focused on that horizon line. But the problem for many of us is we have trouble learning to trust God's word as trustworthy, as relevant to our circumstances, as pertinent to the present moment. We struggle to trust that when I'm going through a hard time, it, the answer could be here and not on Google, right? That, 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 that my circumstances, the, my, the, the strength, the perseverance, the boldness to face my circumstances won't be found in some YouTube video, but, but in the promises of God as recorded in the Bible. See, verses 3 and 4 of James remind us that God allows trials in our lives to strengthen our faith, to, to, to get us more bold to trust him and to trust his, his plan. I mean, I imagine after hearing a, a story about this pilot who crashed into the ground and they developed this gyroscopic instrument, you put a pilot in the, in the cockpit and say, okay, I think we got this figured out now. Here, just, just pay, if you're flying upside down or when you're flying, just watch this instrument and, and it'll, you can trust that at all times it's going to give you a, an accurate read as to where the horizon line is, Right? I imagine that first pilot that got in there was like, uh, I don't know if I can trust this. I, I, I'm not sure that this is trustworthy. I imagine it took that pilot some time in the cockpit flying and testing it out for them to become more and more confident that this instrument is trustworthy. Right? Similarly, when it comes to our faith, we're not just born trusting God's word. I mean, I, I love as, as young people, we're told the promises of God but listen, young people here in the room, understand it's important for you to, to, to bury those promises down into your heart or to, to get them, have them embedded in your heart so that as these circumstances come up, you have a promise to rely upon. We're not saying it so that in, the, in, in your circumstances, you can say uh, that you can repeat the promise as if it's going to make your circumstances go away. No, it's a promise that you're given to rely upon and to, to depend upon when you have trials that you have to walk through yourself. So that trust is built over time. It's built as we trust the promises of God. And as we see the promises of God are trustworthy, we trust him more and more and more. Take, for example, Israel's wandering in the wilderness. You ever wonder why it took 40 years for Israel to cross the, the, the desert? to get to the promised land, it shouldn't take, it doesn't take 40 years to walk that distance, right? There's a reason why it took 40 years. And, and there is a, there's a couple different things going on. Yes, God was waiting for the unfaithful generation, the generation that turned their back on him to, to die off, to pass away, so that he could lead the faithful generation into the promised land. But, but we've seen... We've seen how that goes in the Bible, right? I mean, God could do whatever he wants. He could, he could lead them to that point in history with a snap of his fingers if he wanted to. But instead, God gives the nation of Israel 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why? Wilderness where he provided the, the, their daily sustenance, where he, he provided protection for them against uh, surrounding nations. Why 40 years? Because it took 40 years, or God used those 40 years, I should say, to cultivate a faith in his people, to trust that God would provide their, their daily needs, to, to trust that God would protect them and guide them, go before them, to trust God as being trustworthy and faithful to them. Day by day, he provided them manna and quail. Day by day, he, he quenched their thirst with water. See, in, in, in 40 years... 
God didn't lead them on a, a, a follow-the-leader adventure. In 40 years, God revealed himself to his people as the trustworthy, loving provider that he is. And it took 40 years for this sort of faith to be instilled in the people of God. I mean, church, we need to expect faith to take time, to grow in our hearts. And not just like it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen like, you know, when we say time heals all wounds. You know, like what I don't like about that statement is just kind of this, this thought that if we just let time pass, things will get better. Like maybe we'll forget about what we're upset about or anything like that. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Time to build trust. Time to express our, our repentance, our, our, our regret, our grief over sin. Time to, to, to receive and trust God's love for us. See, I think, I think we can put our trials in that bucket of joy because we know that even, even though we may not see how it's working out in the very moment, when we get to the other end of those 40 years, we can look back and see how God clung to us, how he cared for us, how he poured out his love for us. How even in that moment where we're whining and grumbling because we're thirsty and, and, and how we're kind of believing that, man, we had it so much better when we were living in, in slavery in Egypt. That even in that moment, God never let go of us. See, that, that sort of faith took time to develop and it was cultivated as God led us through the various trials and tribulations of, our, of the lives that we're living in. I don't think it was an easy or simple process for Israel to, to know, to know confidently, to know firmly, and have this conviction that the testing of their faith produces a more enduring trust in God. I don't think that was an easy or simple process. I think that's why it took 40 years. And, and this is the perspective change that God's word gives us to this morning. That, that, that God desires that we too might know not just have an idea, not just be able to re repeat what we were taught in Sunday school, but know, have this conviction, this confidence that the testing of our faith produces this more enduring trust in God. And this makes us a more joyful person because it says that our pain, our trials, our tribulation, they're not meaningless, they're not pointless, but that God could take what's a bad pain and use it for his purposes. His purpose being that he's setting about to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, this is a promise that's flowing in the undercurrent of all that God's doing with his church in this world. He doesn't want to make us more happy or, or satisfied in our own skin. God has set apart or set about making us more perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's not talking about what riches you have stored up in your bank account. He's talking about your, the character of your soul. He's talking about the, your identity in Christ. Yes, you have been saved through your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, but God has set about to transform you, to redeem your, your life back. I don't know about you, but when I put my faith in Christ, there was still sin that was at work in my heart that I struggled with. It didn't go away overnight like that. It took time of God testing and trying the, the, the circumstances of my life. In the process, working out in me that which is bad so that what's, what remains is more complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. And it's a promise that he'll continue to pursue and to work on in us so that on that final day, he will present us before the Father perfect and complete. You know, the prophet Jeremiah speaks of this promise like this. It's a promise that we love to quote, but I think rightfully put in context, we understand not just like this promise that God's going to get me through my present circumstances, but this is a promise that God, that, that, that reveals God's purposes and plan and, and, and work in our lives in this world. The prophet Jeremiah's promise goes like this. I know the plans that God has for you, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
We oftentimes quote this when we're in the midst of hard circumstances because we're thinking, hey, God's going to get me through this immediate circumstance. But I'm going to challenge you to think a little bit further down the road. Think more eternally. Think more in terms of the outcome of your life, not just here on this earth, but for all eternity. God has a plan for you. A plan uh, for your, your welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. A future in the house of God. This is the promise that, that, that Jesus was given by the Father in heaven. It, it, it's a promise that Jesus articulates when he stands up in the temple in Luke chapter 4 and reads from the prophet Isaiah's scroll. He says that he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim liberty to those captive by sin and, and those who are oppressed and to give us sight. What do you say? I came, Jesus said, I came to give you a right perspective. Here, I'm giving you this promise. This will work like a gyroscopic tool. Remember this promise. When your circumstances say otherwise, look at this tool and remember, God's not done. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. God's purpose is not to make us happy but to make us more holy for all eternity. See, I don't, I don't think that, that this is just meant to pump us up, to, to make us say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persevere through my circumstances. I think when James says this, yeah, he's telling us, you need, you need to think of your, your trials and tribulations as a reason for joy. But he's also doing this to leave us with a question. The question for us this morning is, do we believe that God is doing this kind of work in our lives? Do you believe that God is doing this sort of work in your life? Do you believe that he wants to do this kind of work in your life? Don't be discouraged when you face trials of many kinds, because he does. He wants to do this kind of work in your life. He wants you to trust him in your circumstances. He wants you to know him as trustworthy, as a God who provides for you, a God who leads you and guides you. Not a God who leads you around difficult circumstances, but has the ability and the strength and the wisdom to lead you through them to a place far greater. So I think in Psalm 23, when, 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 we, when, we, when we read the shepherd leading his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death to the green pastures. He's not just saying, hey, I'm going to get you through these circumstances so you can feel happy on the other side. He's talking about eternity with him. Eternity with, with the Father where we lay down true rest. Rest because, because we're complete, whole, lacking in nothing. Where we can lay down beside quiet waters where we don't fear the enemy attacking us because we're safe and secure in our Father's hands for all eternity. God, God doesn't want to make you happy by getting you through a hard moment. God wants, wants to make you holy. He wants to make you complete, lacking in nothing for all eternity. So don't be discouraged when trials crop up in your life. Big or small, regardless of the reason for their existence, if it's good pain or bad pain, God will use it to grow your faith if you'll let him. If you'll, if you'll take that moment to say, God, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to despair. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you. Even though this is probably going to be really hard to get through, I'm going to trust that I'm going to learn something new about the kind of God you are, the kind of Father who loves me, who can redeem my life, who can, who, can, who can lead me down the path that is good and right. So don't, don't consider trials or a nuisance or a pain. Don't, don't consider them as, as, as they crop up as something to just make go away. Consider them a joy because your Heavenly Father loves you so much that He's going he's to use this in your life to make you more whole, complete, lacking in nothing. You know, some of this language that, that James uses is similar to uh, and just loosely connected to the word of shalom in the garden, this peace, this wholeness, this completeness. That's what God desires for you. 
He doesn't just want to make you happy for a little while by getting you through a hard circumstance. He wants to make you whole. He wants to restore his peace to you. And ultimately, that peace comes in eternity with him as we walk day by day in faith. Brothers and sisters, we can be filled with joy because we know what Jesus Christ is doing. Right? Joy is not an emotion that, that comes and goes, but it's deeper. It, it's, this, it's this deep soul conviction and security. Joy is steadfast. It's it's faithfulness to trust in in Jesus, whatever your circumstances are. There's a a story of a pastor named Andy McQuitty who uh, writes about this joy in his memoir, uh, a memoir of his time facing the trial of of cancer. He'd been diagnosed with cancer, and he just kind of recorded his faith journey in walking through this. And as he wrote it, he didn't know what his future held. He didn't know if if he would overcome the the battle against cancer this side of heaven or not. But he recorded uh, this sort of joy as he specifically showed up for chemo treatments, right? And uh, and he writes this. He he quotes Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you hear his, his faith in, in reciting that promise? No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Saying, God, I'm not going to tell you what happiness looks like in my life. God, I'm not going to tell you how to fix my circumstances. I'm just going to live in this place of dependence upon you. I'm going I'm to I'm say it how it is. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I can't even anticipate what tomorrow holds for me. That's a promise that, that uh, Pastor Andy McQuitty held on to. He goes on to say this. He says, I become fond of quoting that promise to myself every time I sit down in the chemo lab. My endurance is bolstered by knowing that each drip from that poisonous IV is just a new sentence in a pretty good, good tale that my Heavenly Father is spinning about my life. So even as this chemotherapy drug is being put into his veins, he, he has joy. Not because this is going to feel good or, or like I know I'm going to feel great tomorrow when I, after I have this treatment but because he knows that his life is in his Father's hands. He knows what kind of God is. He knows that promise from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He's clinging to that promise that, that, that is confident in what God has prepared for him because of his love for God. See, trusting God to write the narrative of our lives means that we can't even begin to imagine what good God has in store for us. True joy, steadfast, faithful, secure, hope-filled joy is only realized over time an experience of trusting God in the circumstances that we face. So when it becomes apparent that there's a trial in your path, don't be discouraged. Don't lose hope, church. Instead, be on the lookout. I'm not going to tell you to be excited for it, right? Because that, that, feels, that feels too contrived or, or, or that, that almost, for me, that feels like I'm inviting you to just put on a happy face and fake it till you make it. I'm not saying you have to be excited, but be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. Anticipate that God's about to do something, that this is not meaningless or, or pointless or empty, but you're about to learn more about God's faithfulness and love and provision and power and majesty to work in your present circumstances. I want to close with these words from from Peter found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. He writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice 
and be glad when his glory is revealed. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Don't be discouraged when you face trials of various shapes and sizes. Rejoice because God has a plan for your life to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and nothing can get in the way of that. Nothing can, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God's plans to be at work in your life. Church, don't be discouraged or scared, but be filled with anticipation. Be filled with expectation as trials come up in your life. Because we can have joy in expecting God to do something amazing, doing something good, even if we can't yet see it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is altogether powerful, majestic. Lord, you, you, you know all things, and you're able to work all things together for the good of those who love you. Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't just desire happiness, but we would desire uh, this hope-filled security in Christ. That we would desire to, to, to let you have your way in us. That we would not seek to uh, circumnavigate our pain and our trials and our tribulations, but we would look to trust you in faith as you lead us through them. So Lord, lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to green pastures beside quiet waters. Lead us to your throne. Have your way in us. Grow that, the character of joy in us. Change our perspectives so that we might see the challenges in our life not as a bad thing or a thing to, to, to be uh, numbed or to be avoided or ignored, but as an opportunity to see your faithfulness at work in our lives. So Lord, have your way in us. Grow the character of joy in your people, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.